Hi everyone and welcome. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. And do you know what day this is? That's right. It's your midweek Bible study time. It's Wednesday, May 24th, and I'm excited to be with you. Thanks for taking time to join me today. We're continuing in our study of 2 Peter. Today we're going to be looking at 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And we're going to be talking about imposters in the church. There's a lot to talk about, but before we do, let's open with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we praise your holy name. Thank you for your amazing goodness and greatness. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you'll prompt us today as we go through your word here in 2 Peter, and we ask for your blessing on this time in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. All right, 2 Peter 2, verses 1 to 12. Open up those Bibles or Bible apps and follow along as I read. Let's see what Peter has to say. But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell, into gloomy pits of darkness, where they are being held until the day of judgment. And God did not spare the ancient world, except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even when keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. He is especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire and who despise authority. These people are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at supernatural beings without so much as trembling. But the angels, who are far greater in power and strength, do not dare to bring to the Lord a charge of blasphemy against those supernatural beings. These false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. They scoff at things they do not understand, and like animals, they will be destroyed. Let's begin with verses 1, 2, and 3, shall we? And let's look at the nature of false teachers, starting with verse 1. But there are also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Our first question today, in this opening verse, what does Peter acknowledge regarding false teachers? In this verse, Peter begins to warn his readers about false teachers. He acknowledges that false prophets have always plagued Israel. Even in the days of the genuine prophets of God, men would attempt to make a name for themselves and mislead God's people by claiming that God had given them a message for Israel, and he had not actually done that. Often, in fact, their false prophecies would directly contradict the messages of God's actual prophets. Peter reveals that a similar problem was going to happen now for Christians. 
Rather than false prophets, it would be false teachers who would rise up amidst the ranks of Christianity and mislead believers. What would they teach? They would teach heresy. Heresy is any teaching which contradicts or twists the truth. These doctrines are destructive to Christianity, attempting to internally change it to something false. They're so harmful to individual Christians, and they lead them away from God's word. Peter warns that this won't be an obvious attack on the truth. These false teachers will try to introduce their deception secretly. Their ultimate goal is to convince Christians to join them in denying Jesus, the Master or Sovereign Lord. Regardless of the false teacher's motivation, though, the result will always be the same for those who attempt to mislead Christians into denying Jesus' place as Lord and Master, and the result will be swift destruction. Now, can you apply this idea from this verse into the modern day? In a modern day application, we see groups even today which claim the title Christian, but they deny the Lordship or the deity of Jesus. They teach ideas contrary to the scriptures, but they claim to be true. Some even deny that Peter's words and warnings in this book are the actual word of God. Now that, my friends, is heresy. Look at verse 2. It says, Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality, and because of these teachers, the way of the truth will be slandered. Here's the question. Here Peter says the false teachers will be successful in two areas. What are those two areas? First, Peter said, Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. Do you see that there? In other words, these false teachers will be participating in immoral sexual conduct. This is something they will encourage Christians to join in as well. And sadly, many in the church will follow their lead and do just that. Second, Peter said that so many in the Christian church would join in those depraved and sensual practices that, here it is, the way of truth will be slandered. Do you see that part? The false teachers would discredit the Christian gospel taught by Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Many in the outside world, based on their experience of Christians they know, would arrive at the same conclusion that sexual immorality was normal for those who follow Jesus, which will harm the reputation of Christ himself in the world. For those of us in the church now, we've heard Peter warn us against two traits of false teachers. First is any teaching that would call into question Jesus' place as Lord, his sovereignty, his deity. And secondly, any teaching from those who participate in sexual immorality or suggest that it is permissible for Christians to do so. Next up, verse 3, it reads, In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. Here's the question. In this verse, Peter shows one motive for these false teachers. What is it? One motive of these false teachers is greed. They want power and money, and they're willing to distort God's word to try to get it from God's people. They won't just lie about the truth of God's word. They'll tell false stories about other things as well. If it helps their cause, these false teachers will just make up things. In short, they are con men and or women. So then how can Christians protect ourselves against these sneaky attacks on the truth from those who claim to be one of us? Folks, the answer is simple. We must work to know and understand God's word. We've got to read it, not just let it set on the table or the nightstand. We've got to open it. We've got to pay attention to what we're hearing and seeing from those who with influence among us. If you want to tell false teaching, learn the original teaching from the Lord first, and you'll be able to spot the imposter right after that. 
Now, what will be the consequences for these false teachers? One thing we know for certain, it's going to be harsh. Peter uses some really ominous language here, but God condemned them long ago and their destruction will not be delayed. In other words, God has not forgotten and his judgment will come exactly at the right time and it will come in power. Next up, let's look at verses 4 through 10a, the first half of verse 10. So 4 through 10a, and let's talk about God's judgment and grace. Starting in verse 4. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell, into gloomy pits of darkness, where they are being held until the day of judgment. Here's the question. Who are the rebellious individuals Peter mentions in this verse, and what is their fate? This could be a reference to the angels who rebelled along with Satan, as we find in Ezekiel 28, verse 15, or to the sin of the angels that are described in Genesis 6, 1-4. I think more likely, though, and most theologians agree with this as well, it's the incident recorded in Genesis 6, because the following verses relate to incidents also taken from that portion of Genesis, the flood and the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, which we'll talk about in a minute. The bottom line here, though, is that God did not even spare his angels, and neither will he spare false teachers. Then it says that the angels who sinned were thrown into hell. Do you see that? That phrase in Greek is one word used only here in the New Testament, literally meaning to cast into Tartarus. In Greek mythology, Tartarus, located in the lowest of the underworld, was the place of punishment of rebellious gods and the departed spirits of all evil people. These angels were imprisoned in this hell, in the gloomy pits of darkness, as it says. This might also be the place of punishment set aside in the heavenly realm, 1 Peter 3, 19 and 20. The place of confinement can't be identified, but it is totally in God's control. These sinful angels will wait in hell, a place of punishment, until the judgment day, referring to their final doom, Matthew 25, 41. False teachers are going to face the same judgment as these rebellious angels, and that is not some place anyone wants to find themselves. Next up, verse 5. It says, And God did not spare the ancient world, except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Here's the question. In this verse, Peter writes about another example of God's certain judgment. What is it? Another example of God's judgment is the flood that destroyed the whole world of ungodly people. Peter referred to the flood three times in his two letters. God did not spare the ancient world, for the great sinfulness of all mankind led him to destroy the entire rebellious civilization. Yet even as God was destroying all the sinful people in Noah's day, he powerfully protected Noah and his family of seven. Noah had warned the world of God's righteous judgment, but no one believed him. God's punishment is not arbitrary, folks. Those who deserve punishment are going to get punishment. They're going to receive his punishment. Those who trust in him will receive his grace. Peter's readers should have understood the comparison. Those who choose the wrong path face eternal consequences. Next up, verse 6. Later God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. Here Peter continues with another example of God's judgment. What is the implication in this verse? Peter describes the sinfulness of these cities and Abraham's effort to keep them from being destroyed. When not even ten righteous people could be found in the cities, God destroyed them by burning them down into heaps of ashes, the verse says. In fact, the cities don't even exist today. 
Archaeologists believe that they may have been buried by the waters of the Dead Sea. I believe the implication of this verse is that the horror of these cities ending is an example of what's going to happen to ungodly people. The suffering will be great, and their ungodly lives will result in punishment, gloom, and banishment from the presence of God. In our day, God's punishment of the unrighteous seems less of a preaching and teaching priority. Do we, like the false teachers, think we've outgrown this clear doctrine of Scripture? We have a lot of emphasis on tolerance of others and of self-help efforts of the Bible, but we must not dilute God's words of warning. To turn away from God is to turn to ruin, and that means there will be no escape. The bottom line here, beloved, is we should not neglect teaching about God's judgment. Next up, let's look at verses 7 and 8 together. They read this way. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom, because he is a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. Here's the question. Just as God protected Noah from the flood that destroyed the earth, in these verses, God also protected Abraham's nephew. What was his name? And why did God protect him from destruction? Abraham's nephew was Lot. Lot lived in Sodom, and apparently he was a man of some importance there, for when the angels went to take Lot from the city, they found him sitting at the city gate, where city officials would meet. Peter described Lot as a righteous man who was horrified by the evil in the city. Angel visitors rescued Lot and his family by taking them away from the city before it was destroyed. Interestingly, the Genesis account does not make Lot appear to have been very righteous at all. But for all of his flaws, Lot stood out as a righteous man in an extremely evil society. When God chose to bring swift and complete judgment on the evil of these cities, he also graciously saved his own. What is the application, though, of this verse for us today? Just as God rescued Lot from Sodom, he's able to rescue us from the temptations and trials that we face in this wicked world. Lot was not sinless, but he put his trust in God and was spared when Sodom was destroyed. God will punish those who cause the temptations and trials, so we need never to worry about justice being done. Good news for sure. Next up, verse 9. It says, So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. Here's the question. Peter's words in this verse would have been a comfort to his readers and they should be a comfort to us as well. How so? In a nutshell, if God saved Noah and Lot, men he declared to be righteous, he will also save those he declares to be righteous right now. God knows how to do both. He knows how to rescue his people, the ones he declares to be godly from trials. And he knows how to hold those who are ungodly to be punished for their rebellion on the coming day of his judgment. So the message is clear. We may be tempted to look at the world and think that those who oppose God are winning. It sure seems that way sometimes today. It may seem that standing with God costs more than it's worth. We must never forget that God is still paying attention. Destruction will come, and so will salvation. The faithfulness we demonstrate today will one day be vindicated. Hallelujah. Lastly, in this midsection, let's look at verse 10a, the first half of verse 10. It says, he is especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire and who despise authority. According to this verse, what group of people is God going to be especially hard on and why? 
the specific sexual sins these false teachers did and urged others to do may have differed from the men of Sodom, but both were guilty of unrestrained sexual expression. They were living in defiance of God's commands and his instructions on the right way to live. Peter calls them bold and daring, arrogant and willful, unafraid of the consequences of what they're doing and teaching. Lastly, let's look at the final group of scriptures here, the second half of verse 10, verse 10b through verse 12. And let's talk about the destiny of imposters. Starting out with verse 10b and 11. These people are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at supernatural beings without so much as trembling. But the angels who are far greater in power and strength do not dare to bring from the Lord a charge of blasphemy against those supernatural beings. Here's the question. In these verses, Peter mentions another group of false teachers that are targeted. Who are they? And what do you think is the point that Peter's mentioning here? Why is he mentioning them in this particular set of verses? In verse 10b, Peter revealed evidence of the conceit of these false teachers. For starters, they were afraid to speak arrogantly about angelic beings. Peter used the Greek word doxis. It's the noun doxis, which the New International Version renders as celestial beings, or the English Standard Version as glorious ones, or the New American Standard as angelic majesties. This might have meant insulting them, ignoring the influence of spiritual beings, or even telling lies about what such beings could do or would do. In other words, they were speaking of these beings with great disrespect. Contempt leads to carelessness, beloved. Speaking rudely of spiritual beings not only makes a person less cautious, it also invites unwanted attention. We don't know specifically what these false teachers were saying, but we get a clue in verse 11 that they may have been saying it about fallen angels. Peter tells us that even angels, apparently non-fallen angels speaking for God, would never speak so disrespectfully for or of fallen angels. Even when pronouncing God's judgment, they would not heap abuse as it is on these rebellious angels. Peter says that clearly the angels are far more powerful than these false teachers. If anyone had the moral authority to speak disrespectively about the fallen celestial beings, the angels that remained loyal to God would. And yet they don't. They won't. The fact that these false teachers do, it demonstrates their arrogance and complete ignorance of all things and the punishment that would come from their actions. And now the last verse for today, verse 12. It says, these false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed. They scoff at things they do not understand, and like animals, they'll be destroyed. Here's our last question today. Why do you think Peter referred to these false teachers as animals? Here, Peter compares these false teachers to animals driven only by instinct and not by rational thought. He writes that they're doing what comes naturally in the same way a wild animal might attack a human being without apparent cause. Like that wild animal, Peter says these false teachers will be caught and destroyed. In their case, though, it is God who will destroy them. Likely, Peter is referring to their eternal judgment. It's interesting that Peter contrasts those who act like animals with those who act with reason. Christianity, from the very beginning, has been friendly to the mind. In fact, a major aspect of the faith is purposeful control of one's thought life. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 12 too, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So the idea of ignoring the intellect, 
to focus only on feelings is completely at odds with biblical faith. Amen. Well, folks, that wraps up our study for today, our study of 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Here's a brief recap of what we talked about. Peter reminded us that just as there were false teachers in the Old Testament, there will be false teachers in the early church as well. He said that many would follow them in ignorance and taint the reputation of established doctrines. Peter also said that these false teachers would be greedy and lying, and the consequences of their destructive behaviors would be God's severe judgment on them. And Peter also said that these false teachers slandered celestial beings, something even angels would never do in God's presence. They acted in ignorance like wild animals, and they would, as a result, perish. Next time, we're going to be studying the second half of 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 22, and we're going to talk about the destiny of spiritual impostors. We're going to expound on these last three verses that we just talked about and give you more. Thanks for joining me today. It's been a great opportunity to be with you. I am so blessed for that. Thanks for taking the time. I'm praying for you and your families. Pray for us at Word of Hope as well. Until next time, take care. God bless you and go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.